This is the Chief Steward Officer podcast for Kingdom Entrepreneurs. If you want to start, grow, or sustain a business that lines up with Kingdom principles, this podcast is for you. Stewardship is key to aligning your business with the Kingdom of God, and we provide straight talk, practical tips, and advice to help you succeed. How did you react the last time someone complimented you? You think back on it. Did you receive it cheerfully? Did you say thank you? Most people find that accepting compliments is surprisingly uncomfortable. In fact, it's such an awkward event for a lot of folks that you may be more comfortable with transforming compliments into self-deprecating insults. Perhaps your standard go-to is to deflect compliments with an excuse. Well, we all get lucky sometimes. Or Even a broken clock is right twice a day. You may not accept that people value your opinion and preemptively undercut your counsel and input with phrases such as, but what do I know? And, but don't listen to me, I'm a nobody. But did you ever stop to consider the impact this offhanded self-loathing has on not only your witness, but also on your mindset going forward? Earl Nightingale told us in The Strangest Secret that we are what we think about. If we are always negatively reinforcing every success that we have, then eventually we'll stop having successes. We'll eventually become the undeserving and dependent on luck person that we pretend we already are. Luckily, there's a better way to respond. Simply take into account exactly who you are. For that, I'm going to turn to the scriptures. And in the eighth chapter of Romans, the 16th and 17th verses, this is what Paul says. He says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, again, that's the eighth chapter, Romans, the 16th and 17th verses. But in these verses, Paul tells us that we are joint heirs with Jesus. Now, think about the magnitude of that statement for just a few minutes. What have you ever done in your own capacity to earn the label joint with Jesus about anything? The answer is nothing. Naturally speaking, you've never done anything under your own power to make you worthy to be joint with Jesus in any aspect of your life. However, the scriptures clearly tell us that through Jesus' sacrifice and because of grace, we share in Jesus' inheritance. That's why the Bible calls us joint heirs with the Savior. When you realize that God considers you a joint heir with his only begotten son, it's easier to understand that the good fortune, the good luck, the strange way that things seem to work out for you as if by magic, well, they're not good luck after all. They're the result of God's favor. People gravitate towards you and respect and seek your opinion because they are drawn to the truth and the power that flows through you. God's power is the type of thing that gets noticed even if only on a subconscious level. You may ask yourself, why in the world did I land this huge contract? Or how did I wind up in this meeting with this group of people? I certainly don't belong here. Possibly you thought, I don't have the knowledge or experience that any of these people have. Eventually it's gonna come out that I'm a fraud. This is called the imposter complex. And if we surrender to the imposter complex, 
if we reinforce to ourselves that we are not who we really are, then we'll never feel worthy to be anywhere or do anything that is rightfully a part of our royal inheritance. On the other side of the coin, you may think, well, I just respond this way because it projects humility. And I'm sure that you imagine your words are endearing and respectfully self-aware and the opposite of being overconfident. But there's a limit to modesty. What begins as self-deprecating humor can very easily cross the line into denying Christ and your birthright. So let's take a review. Now, hang with me here. Uh, but in the beginning, God created everything there was from nothing. He created heaven and the earth, the lights and the stars and all the oceans and all the animals. And when he had gotten everything exactly perfect, he decided it was good enough for humans. Now, I believe he spent so much time creating this perfect environment for the sole purpose that he would have unfettered companionship and access with you and me. But that perfect place was corrupted by sin. And because of this sin, humans could no longer be in companionship with God as they once were. And this both angered and deeply saddened God. To overcome this sin, God established that a blood sacrifice would offer atonement and enable humans to once again be in companionship with him. However, he didn't just immediately send his son to die for our sins because people would have not had any idea why that was necessary or why it would even work. Why do I need somebody to die for my sins? So for hundreds of years, a series of sacrifices was set up that would educate people and enable them to get closer to God. And when they were close to God, great miracles were performed, cities crumbled, nations were established, kings were set up, and kings were toppled. Now continue to hang with me here. We're almost done with this history lesson, but now we're getting to the good part. At the end of this system of sacrifices, God said, now's the time to send the ultimate sacrifice. The Messiah was born to a virgin and lived a perfect life. In his life, he taught everything good that there was to teach. And when he was so perfect that the world could no longer accept him, they crucified him. Once he was confirmed dead by Roman soldiers, and believe me, if there was one thing Roman soldiers knew how to do, it was how to kill people. They put him in a tomb and sealed it tight with a huge stone, and they even guarded it day and night. But in three days, he arose from the dead and left that tomb. That's pretty unbelievable, right? Now, it gets even more unbelievable. He didn't rise alone by himself. The graves were opened, and a number of the previously dead walked into the city and were seen by many. Jesus walked with and taught his hundreds of followers for 40 more days after he rose. And at the end of that 40 days, that's about one and a half months, Jesus flew in the air. That's right. He ascended straight up into heaven. And it was such an amazing sight that his disciples stood around staring straight up into heaven. And an angel had to come and say, why are you still staring up in the sky? And as if that weren't enough. After these events, the apostles' lives were changed, and they began to preach with a power and authority that converted thousands and thousands of people. Because of the nature of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was no longer confined to being in one location at a time, because as a spirit, he could be everywhere at once. 
So this power traveled out across all continents and nations, and the story continued to be experienced through more kingships and kingdoms. The miracle of God's intervention in human lives has continued through thousands of years. So considering all that history, when somebody comes up to you and says, wow, you've really been blessed, you've got to have some nerve to say, well, I got lucky, I guess. No, sister, you have been highly favored as part of a remarkable plan that has spanned millennia. Indeed, it's existed since the beginning of time because you are a joint heir with Jesus. Hallelujah. It's time for you to acknowledge that fact. Start living like it. Start speaking like it. Start letting others know who you are in Christ Jesus. Stop discounting his story and accept that you are worthy of all the blessings you're receiving because you are a joint heir.